0: Hey, good morning everybody. Happy Easter Sunday. Thank you so much for joining with us, coming together as we are able to do. We're grateful for the opportunity. You know, this, this is different. This, this is a different Easter Sunday. The, the COVID-19 outbreak has forced such a phrase from all of our lips. This is different. On the heels of breaking news and the the frustration perhaps of homeschooling and doing all the normal things that we do. And even just grocery shopping. Something that was a whatever thing just kind of pop in and pop out now has a very real weightiness. I have found there's a constant heaviness and oddity to everything that I do. Today is something very unlike I have ever thought about, imagined, or planned for. Easter Sunday, again, just using this as an example for our larger existence, because so many things have changed. But Easter Sunday is a day that routinely takes its own special and expected shape, doesn't it? I mean, we have our own celebrations. We have our routines. We have the things we normally. We have our traditions of family traditions and so forth. Even within the church context, I know Life Church and many churches experience close to a two hundred percent jump. We usually have four hundred people on a Sunday, and Easter Sunday we can expect seven to eight hundred. This is a day where people buy and don new Sunday best, outfitted in brazen pastels, and all of a sudden, large hats are encouraged to be worn indoors. (laughs) But this Easter Sunday today, this morning, church buildings sit idle, while many of us listen to this message in our jam-jams. And while that may be more comfortable, it certainly is different. And yet, isn't this what Easter is all about? I find a resonating revelation tucked in and through all of this. Where we have constructs and expectations and certain things that are supposed to go a certain way. Only then they take their own way. Their own course. But nothing, nothing takes God off His course. One that is conspicuously unfazed by everything so that He continues, no matter what, to move and exist, and overwhelm with love, mercy, grace, resurrection. Regardless, this is different. Regardless, God got up today. God got up out of the grave. And the grave Jesus removes himself from, the Spirit of Christ, is not just speaking to our existence after death your grave might be an addiction. It might be a, an unhealthy narrative, a habit, and a pattern that continues to weigh you down and pull at your soul. Your grave might be a dysfunctional relationship, a marriage that is on the rocks, or whatever it might be. Fill in the blank. Whatever your grave is, I want you to know Jesus is alive and well. The Spirit of our Christ is available to lead us, encourage us, heal us, even in this difference. At the close of our conversation, we're going to celebrate communion. So just take a moment, grab whatever you need a donut, cold pizza, Pop Tart, whatever you're using for communion, juice box. Uh, we're going to celebrate that at our close. We're, we're again concluding our series today 71 Words, where we've been following the lead of the disciples. This passage that we will read in a moment isn't just something that ignites in Jesus' thoughts. He is responding to the question of the disciples as they ask, teach us to pray. This would have been a very normal question to ask any rabbi. It wasn't just, hey, how do we fold our hands and ask? It was entreating and how to ask, but it was also, hey, Jesus, how do you live your life? Hey, Jesus, what do you think is important? How do you will with your soul? How do you lean in your circumstances? Because yes, Jesus is God, And Jesus is the way to go. He does so much for us in his God capacity, but he gives us so much more in giving ways to go, how to live, how to love, how to receive and give mercy, how to receive and give grace, how to live in resurrection reality in our current lives, in our current days. So, this is our concluding message of this series 71 words showing us how to pray, think, dream, interact, be human. Let's read our passage one more time Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. Pray then like this Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you that we find you to be faithful, your love steadfast, and we pray for our church. We pray for our community. We pray for our country. We pray for our world. We ask for you to stop this coronavirus right here and right now. We ask for physical healing. We ask for emotional healing. We ask for you to come rushing in with an abundance of who you are, who we know you to be. And so we just, we, we thank you, Father, that even in the midst of this different, we find you to be faithful. We just give you these moments As we open up your word, uh, mold us, shape us, make us more into your image. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody said, amen. Amen and amen. If you're joining with us on this Easter Sunday, we've been working through these 71 words, often known as the Lord's Prayer. We've been working through them line by line, word by word, and today we're going to be landing and concluding on the final 13 words. If you're taking notes, the title of our conversation is 59 through 71. And let me just read these final 13 words. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, I I want to acknowledge what many, if not all, of you have probably been wondering about. Where do these last words come from? They really don't seem to fit in terms of the flow. Jesus is framing so much by declaring, Father of us, hallowed be your name. He's giving us a prioritization as we move from the divine to the earthly. He closes in this second triad that we just worked through with an imperative language. Hey, he's telling us that you should be emphatic. Give us this daily bread. Forgive us our debts. Lead us. This is how God wants to speak to us. And then it closes with a statement. A statement. Additionally, this statement probably isn't even in many of your Bibles. As we've been reading it, I've gotten to this last phrase, and you just kind of look up and, and, and watch me or listen. It's curious, as they're excluded in many versions, even the one that we usually read on Sundays, the ESV. The fact of the matter is, these last 13 words were more than likely not spoken by Jesus, though certainly present in His intention. J.I. Packer, in his book that we've been referring to, Praying the Lord's Prayer, writes, The doxology, which is what this is, and is an act of praise to God for His glory, he continues, With which, following the older versions, we round off the Lord's Prayer is not in the best manuscripts. Nevertheless, it is in the best tradition. What Packer is noting and what I am communicating today is this: these are not, perhaps, and they are accepted to not be Jesus' words, but through historical um, searching, and theological uh, exposition, we find that these were words spoken by the first followers of Jesus. N.T. Wright mentions similarly in his book, The Lord and His Prayer, this concluding doxology doesn't appear in the best manuscripts of either Matthew or Luke, and it is only comparatively recently, in the last few centuries, that it has been restored to the liturgy of the Western Church. But it was already well established within a century or so of Jesus' day, and it is actually inconceivable within the Jewish praying styles of his day that Jesus would have had intended this prayer to stop simply with deliver us from evil. Packer continues to note that these types of proclamations, this doxological reality is commonplace in the Psalms. I love the Psalms personally because When I read them, and I would encourage everybody to not just read them, but get to a place in a room, in an office, maybe in your car, where you're reading the Psalms out loud. Because I have found many times when I read the Psalms in particular, it gives me language. It gives me words that my soul needs to say, but I can't seem to find and create myself. But Packer notes this Doxology reality in Psalm 47, 79, 93, 97 and Psalm 145 are are great opportunities, avenues so to speak for us to pour ourselves into and enter into this experience of doxology towards God. Packer encourages with this final directive concerning doxological exhortation or practice. He says, we should read them, ponder them, get them under your skin and into your heart. I don't know about you, the whole into your heart thing, I'm all for and I'm with it. But the under your skin, whoo, can we just, man, there's something so, yes, when someone says under your skin, you know exactly what they're talking about, right? It might not be something big and in large part, most of the time. When you're talking about something that gets under your skin, and I know I don't even have to give examples because right now you're rifling through the Rolodex of stuff that your spouse does, your children do, your loved one does that get under your skin. Am I right? But usually isn't a big thing. In fact, usually it's a small thing. That that splinter that gets just under your skin that you don't even see it, but when you touch it, oh, it just sends that sharp pain through your entire hand. You didn't even know it was there, but it's under your skin. My, my boys have things they get under their skin that I do. <laughs> Asa always loves to play basketball with me and I'm not a very good foul shooter. For whatever reason, we'll play 21 and it just gets under his skin that I use the backboard for the foul shots. Every time I do it, he just exhales with this like a little part of himself dies. Oh, and they've even looked at me when I do that and Asa's like, it doesn't count. It doesn't count if you use the backboard. It just gets under his skin. Jude has this thing that if you're ever eating a meal with him and the fork scrapes the plate, like that bothers me and it annoys me and it's kind of whatever. But it just gets under Jude's skin and he just, he, his whole body clenches and tensions, just this little thing. But when it happens to him, he's like, oh, dad, it just hurts. I just, it hurts in my teeth under your skin. Under your skin speaks to a sensitivity that we have at a soul level. What would it be like? if we had the doxology towards God under our skin, that we would have a sensitivity from everything for His presence and these praises, that it would be the first thing and the closest thing to the surface when everything else is going on. I want to read Psalm 147. If you want to fast forward this time and speed through, that's totally your choice. But Psalm 147, what would we be like If we had this under our skin, close to the surface, praise the Lord for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant and a song of praise is fitting. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He determines the number of the stars. He gives to all of them their names. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. The Lord lifts up the humble. He casts the wicked to the ground. Come on, church, what would it be like? What would our lives be like if, when other things happened, This is what comes to the surface. This is what rocks our soul a little bit. Psalms uh, 147, verse 7. Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Make melody to our God on the lyre. He covers the heavens with clouds. He prepares rain for the earth. He makes grass grow on the hills. He gives to the beasts their food and to the young ravens that cry. His delight is not in the strength of the horse nor his pleasure in the legs of man. But the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him and those who hope in his steadfast love. Praise the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise your God, O Zion, for He strengthens the bars of your gates. He blesses your children within you, and He makes peace in your borders. He fills you with the finest of wheat. He sends out His command to the earth. His word runs swiftly. He gives snow like wool. He scatters frost like ashes. He hurls down his crystals of ice like crumbs. Who can stand before his cold? He sends out his word and melts them. He makes his wind blow and the waters flow. He declares his word to Jacob, his statutes and rules to Israel. He has not dealt thus with any other nation. They do not know his rules. Praise the Lord. What would it be like if when other things happened, that type of a response was close to the surface of our soul, under our skin? So, back to our 13 words. Why include these apparently hollow words in terms of their loose attachment to King Jesus? I mean, they sound great, but if they're loosely attached to King Jesus, if they are late additions contrived afterwards, misleadingly colored red by some versions of the scripture. Why? Why include them? I mean, Jesus is why we're here, right? Jesus is a teacher, a rabbi, the Son of God, our Savior, our King. And Jesus, in the beginning, generates a frame of reference. Jesus gives us these triads of name, kingdom, and will, speaking to the divine of God. He gives us the bread, the debts, and temptation that we as humans revolve around. Jesus establishes... In this prayer, priority and progression, Jesus gives space for us to be able to reshape, not focused on bread, debts, and temptation, but we can actually respond to the call of name, kingdom, and will. Then from this call and response form initiated by Jesus, as we can mentally work around the notion that God's intention is mingled with people's actions, these final 13 words make for a magnificent testifying response. It's a final ascent. They are the resolving chord of your favorite song. They're Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, roaring through the Ode to Joy movement. They're they're that last cookie, come on somebody, that the last Easter cookie you find after someone else told you they were all gone. It's the euphoria I'm sure we'll all feel when we can safely gather together and embrace each other again. These final 13 words are more than likely not spoken by Jesus, but proclaimed by His first followers as they looked backward. They're powerfully not saying, Yes, it will, but yes, it did. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. With that context created let's work through these 13 words the first yours is using our now established vantage point this yours is is directed back at jesus but not solely for him it's the pinnacle of call of response in one though it's directed towards jesus nothing is only for him because he is ours and we are in him or rather the opportunity for us to be in him is available additionally this yours is speaks to an ownership in perpetuity. There's an implanted and implicit coming back, a returning. To be honest, that we are used to associating with Jesus and God in general because of the story Jesus tells. Maybe we're too used to it, actually. Maybe we're too familiar with it. We just kind of expect this is what's going to happen. But they are created because of the narratives Jesus tells. Narratives like the master returning. A shepherd who goes looking for a sheep. A king coming back. A woman searching for what has gone lost. The father who runs to rekindle and redeem what wandered away. Yours is kingdom. Kingdom is, man, kingdom is Jesus at his subversive best. Kingdom is one of the first pieces that he speaks to in our triad that we work through. Here, his followers are acknowledging the different rule and reign, the different way of relating that Jesus initiated, but they have found to be influential. It's one thing for somebody to say, this is what you should do. It's another thing to say, we've done it and it works. Remember, Such mention of rule and reign separate from very present, very dominating, very terrorizing, despotic regimes like the Herodians and the Caesars. This is what the first followers of Jesus are living under. Terrorized constantly, physically abused, murder. The crucifixion was a common tool just to manhandle and control. So to speak of kingdom, to speak of rule and reign separate from those who were ruling and reigning in those ways and in those terms was highly, highly hazardous to one's safety, health, and future. N.T. Wright comments on this dichotomy in his book. He says, support my kingdom or I'll kill you. This is the pagan empire, the need to say that there's no such thing as truth. And if someone not only tells the truth but lives the truth, pagan empire, the Herodians and Caesars, has no alternative but to kill them but to crush them. Jesus responds by quietly reminding Pilate that all power comes from on high. And by getting on with the job of being the truth, living out truly the love of God for the salvation of the world, He, Jesus, represents the dangerous alternative, the possibility of a different empire, a different power, a different glory, a different peace. This kingdom is an affirmation of a very different applied authority, an alternative way. We often get sucked into the vacuum of offering kind to kind. If someone responds in one way, we respond in the same way. If there's violence, we would respond with violence. If there's frustration, we would respond with frustration. But Jesus is offering an alternative way. And here his first followers are saying, this kingdom, this this ruling and reigning, not from a top-down, but from a loving, serving, mercy-giving, grace-giving reality works. Power. Power in the original language is dunamis. It speaks to ability, energy. It is the root we use for the word dynamite and translates to be capable strong enough powerful enough like often ancient languages are they don't use words in terms of black and white definitions. They were actually word pictures, illustrations. That's how they spoke to one another. It was much more uh, illustrative in their language. The word picture of dunamis is in no uncertain terms descriptive by explosive, overcoming, never failing, more than enough issue. One familiar passage of scripture where we see this is in Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 14 He says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with the power, the dunamis through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Connecting those dots. Paul is connecting those dots. that The spirit, the power, the dunamis, the anointing, the Christ that dwells in us. Verse 17. That you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and depth. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Verse 20. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the dunamis, the power at work within us. To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Power. And finally, glory. Glory has a rich history in connection with God. But scripturally speaking, only in His presence. It's not meant to just be a thing external or a magical existence. It is a mark of majesty, yes. It is an illustration of pure, unadulterated goodness and beauty of divine and existential essence. But the more defining factor of glory, in biblical terms, is its attachment to God's presence. Glory did not exist except for Not just God's will, but His presence. Not just good thoughts, but His good presence. Not just the hopes and dreams and desires, but the reality of His presence being present. Think shining light, trumpet sounding, overwhelming emotion, but glory, Shekinah is the word that the original language would use, is not just a thing, but it is attached to His presence. We see it often. In the Old Testament, as they speak of the tabernacle and the glory that fell, the glory that settled, the glory that led the nation of Israel, we see it too with Moses as he pleads with God and desires to see him face to face. And so Moses experiences his presence not as a thing given to him, but it says in the scriptures as he passes by, as God passes by, as God is close. These final three words are a final triad themselves, a ascending triad, if you will. Kingdom, power, glory. And again, they do not only speak to us in regards to disciples of another day and age looking back, testifying, which is beautiful and wonderful and, and encouraging, but more emphatically, they speak to our own futures we are presently creating. As we've said time and again in the course of this series, Jesus is God. Yes, yes, Jesus is Lord. He is Savior. He is the one and only entity who draws a line in the sand that separates us from our past, that our past would not dictate our future. God accomplishes that through Jesus. But Jesus is also the one who is giving us the way to go. He doesn't just separate us from the past. He engages us and creates with us our future. And so, these three sending words, this sending triad, kingdom, power, and glory. First, that word kingdom. This prayer gives mission and commission for our future. Purpose, destiny, avenue, pathway. N.T. Wright comments, If Jesus is the true king of all the world, whose kingdom redefines power and glory so that they are now seen in the manger, on the cross, and in the garden, the ability to pray this prayer is to pray this kingdom, this power, and this glory may be seen in all the world. It is not enough, though it is the essential starting point, that we submit it in our own lives to God's alternative kingdom vision. We must work for this vision to come in reality. If the church isn't prepared to subvert the kingdoms of the world with the kingdom of God, the honest thing would be to give up praying this prayer altogether, especially its final doxology. What Wright is saying and what I'm wanting to sink into our souls this morning is that this prayer is a giving of mission and commission for us. That this is not just something to pray, but again, this is something to do, something to live in, something to act out second and attached to the first is that this prayer gives incarnation and empowerment for our future. God does not want for us to do this on our own. The first followers of Jesus so emphatically believed in God's presence that they began to speak of themselves and we see this in Paul's letter to the Corinthian church that they go so far as to say, God is not just with you, but God is in you. This is a massive turn. It may be something we have heard preached and and read about and thought about for so many years in our own lives that it has become normal. But the shift that has come to the church of Jesus Christ in the early days was that God is not just for you and with you, which was massive, but God is now in you. You are the temple. The words that Paul uses to the Corinthian churches is you are the temple of God's Holy Spirit. You are the house by which God exists. This prayer gives incarnation and empowerment for our future. And thirdly, this prayer gives us confidence and commitment in God for our future. This glory because He's with us. One of the most powerful passages of Scripture is found in Romans chapter 8 as Paul details the glory. Again, not because, hey, let's blow up balloons or throw confetti and everything's working out. It says in verse 18 of that passage, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. Suffering and glory are not mutually exclusive. Glory is not a thing we experience. Glory is not only trumpet sounding and the explosive celebration. Glory is the presence of our God. In verse 37 of chapter 8, the whole, I would encourage everyone to read this and keep this in mind, but the the ultimate pinnacle of this passage, knowing all these things, Paul writes. I love terminology like that. These things. What fits under the heading of these things? The original language means these things. (laughs) You didn't see that coming, did you? All these things means all these things knowing all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us for i am sure that word is fully convinced the, the pistuo the 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 ability to move oneself because they are find themselves believing for i am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of god in christ jesus Our Lord. This prayer gives us confidence and commitment for our future because God is in us. On this Easter, in the midst of our this is different, may we find solace and similarity to when Mary finds the empty tomb at the end of the gospel. Or maybe the disciples who were walking so downtrodden on their way to Emmaus. In Luke's gospel, we have this reality where this moment where disciples are they're going away from Jerusalem and this is not just hey we want to go on a walk they're leaving Jerusalem because they're giving up they're leaving Jerusalem because it didn't work out the way that they thought it would they're leaving Jerusalem because Jesus their leader their hope is dead and is gone and so they're going to Emmaus which is more than likely home they're going away or maybe we can align ourselves with Thomas, who doubted and just couldn't understand without specific evidence. Their constructs and expectations didn't include this. Fill in the blank. For Mary, she found an empty tomb. Maybe she was hoping for the tomb. Even more than that, she didn't want a tomb at all. She wanted Jesus. She wanted it to go the way that she thought it was supposed to go. The disciples who were on the way to Emmaus wanted Jesus to lead them to victory. And Thomas just needed more. Maybe you're here today and you just need more. But just as Mary was ignited by Jesus saying her name, the disciples finally recognized Jesus in Luke's gospel through a familiar activity. And I just love that. Can we pause there for a moment that we often want God to come in mysterious ways, but it might be church that it's the familiar activities That if we give space to those and invest in them and develop a habit, develop a practice, that we would find God even in those. And the beautiful reality that Jesus simply and wonderfully obliged Thomas. If you find yourself asking God for help today, for evidence of his goodness, I love Thomas because that proves to us Jesus will go And give us what we're looking for. So that we can know Him and be with Him. All of those examples show us that even in the different, none of them expected it to go that way. It was different. But it shows us that God remains. God remains. We're going to celebrate communion now. Go ahead and take the bread and the cup. Father, we thank you so much. For everything that was accomplished at Calvary. We thank you that Jesus, you you love us, you're for us. For the joy that was set before you, you endured the cross. And today on Easter Sunday, we celebrate. God, we observe what you did, and help us to stretch this celebration and its observance into tomorrow, into Tuesday, into Wednesday, Father, the, the, the whole of our lives, not just one celebration a year, but every single day would be the celebration of what you accomplished on the cross. We thank you that your body was broken, that your blood was spilled, so that we could know healing, we could know the opportunity to repent and be redeemed by your Spirit. And we don't have to go our own way, but Father, you've given us another way. We thank you for that. And we are mindful today of what you have done on the cross for us. In Jesus' name, amen. You may partake of the bread and the cup. I would be remiss if I didn't give opportunity today for all those who want to make a commitment to receive Christ as Lord and Savior. I know we're not together, but we're here for you when we pray this prayer in a moment, if you're making a first time commitment or maybe a fresh commitment and you know, man, I have wandered, I've I've kind of fallen away a little bit and I want to receive God's love again. I want to walk in his mercy. If that's you, we would love to hear from you. You can go to our website and, and go to the info and just make contact and say, I, I, I received Christ on Easter Sunday. I want somebody to follow up with me. I want someone to uh, help me and support me. We'd love, we're would love. we not going to badger you, but we want to come alongside you. So, Father, I thank you for everybody who hears the sound of my voice. Holy Spirit, lead us and guide us to truth. And so if, if there's anybody here today that would like to receive Christ, just pray these words with me. Jesus I give you my life. Come on. Jesus, I give you my life. Father, you know every person who made that determination in their heart. And we ask and we invite God's Holy Spirit to fill them, to to comfort them, to help them right here and right now. If they are in a situation that, that needs desperate physical help, financial assistance, God, we just thank you so much that you don't just care for one part of us, but you love the whole of us. Uh, and so we thank you for the salvation of souls and we thank you, we, we pray that there would be an attachment to the community of faith and we would be able to come alongside and bless and support them. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thank you so much for praying that prayer. Please, please go to our website, lifechurchvirginia.com and make contact with us. We'd love to come alongside you. I would like to do one more thing very quickly. J.I. Packer has something interesting because I didn't address the last word. The last word of the Lord's Prayer, of course, is Amen. And in this sending triad reality, he makes this point. He says, Amen is best loudly said and with emphasis. And it creates a checklist that we are walk in. And he makes these statements and asks these questions. Do you identify with the trust in Jesus Christ as your own Savior and the faith God in God as your own God through Him and the recognition of every Christian as your own brother in God's family that is expressed by our Father? Is the hallowing of God's name in you and through you, whatever that may cost, your controlling purpose in life? Do you want to see God triumph in His kingdom to see everything that does not match His perfection come to an end? Will you labor and suffer for the kingdom if need be, so as to become its agent, the means of bringing it into lives and situations where the gates have been locked against God? Do you happily take God's will of command for your rule and God's will of events for your destiny, knowing by faith that both are supremely good? Is there any matter in which you are flying in the face of God's will of command, excusing yourself on the grounds of there being other commands that you faithfully keep? If so, what will you now do about it? Do you see and know that unless God acts to provide for today's needs and to pardon today's sins and to protect you in today's temptations that you are lost? Do you make it an issue of conscience never to bear a grudge or cherish bitterness against anyone, but to show forgiving mercy always because of the forgiving mercy that God always shows you? Is there any person whom hitherto you have refused to forgive what he or she did to you? Will you ask the Lord this moment to help you change your attitude and get right with that person? Do you make it your habit to watch and pray against temptation? Will you make it your habit from now on? I just love that. I love that final engagement, the amen that Packer unpacks for us in that sending triad. Now let me leave you all with the benediction on this Easter Sunday. And again, thank you so much for joining with us. May we acknowledge our part in all that we are and do, always in the shadow of who God is and what He has done. May the different that crashes against our determined courses not dismay us from trusting God in the midst, proving time and time and time again that His is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And may we remember that with Jesus, it only gets better. Hey, we love you all so much. Have a happy, happy Easter. And we are praying for you and cannot wait to gather with you in the future. We love you all so much. Stay safe.